You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, folks. We are back and better than last week. We hope zooming into week eight. Can you believe it? We're almost halfway through the season and it seems like we just started. Uh, Week eight also signifies the trade deadline, which is, as we record, next Tuesday, uh, November the 2nd at 4 p.m. Eastern. Seems like all the talk uh, so far, at least, and has continued to be Deshaun Watson. Obviously, Miami is involved. Their owner is 81 years old, and he's been trying to fill Dan Marino's shoes since he took over the team, and it uh, just hasn't been going very well. Then word comes, I was, I guess, coincidentally, as Sam Darnold has started to uh, struggle. Carolina's name pops back up. So let's bring Alex in. Alex, what do you make all this? Do you see any deals getting done here? I'm going to say the Deshaun Watson deal is not going to get done. I just think there are too many ifs here, Lou. I realize that in a perfect world, the Dolphins would make the trade. They would give away Tua for peanuts, even though he did play well last week. But I think that Watson would be an upgrade, but the whole situation, the whole legal situation that just surrounds him, and I don't think NFL teams like the Dolphins or the Panthers have any clarity there. I mean, how long is he going to be suspended for? I mean, is this going to be like you give up a couple of first-round picks and then he's going to be on, on the bench inactive list for the next like year and a half? I know that Deshaun Watson is going to get back on the football field because... You know, this country is all about giving second chances. You and I talked about this, and he's going to be out Let's there. Let's not get political. No, but it's true. It's true. And <laughs> Well, sure. I mean, I mean, just society in general likes to see people, you know, get knocked down and then come back up. Or if they're way up, then we knock them down just to see if they can get back up. I just think it's going to be a tough sell uh, for the Dolphins to trade for Deshaun Watson when they're sitting at 1-6. and six. I think they have to find out if Tua is their quarterback. And if he is not, then they can make the trade for Watson in the offseason, like before the, the 2022 NFL draft. I think that's probably going to be more realistic here. I'm going to say this. I want it to get done, but I don't think it will. Well, the the thing with Watson, of course, again, it is all all the legal stuff, and that's you know, again, we're being Captain Obvious here. The big deal here is the is the owner. You know, I don't think the GM is ready to pull the trigger on this. Obviously, they made the pick for Tua. They're having a little buyer's remorse, I guess, when you see Justin Herbert lighting it up and some of these other young quarterbacks. But again, I mean, Tua's only had, I mean, how many starts has he had? You know, 10, 11, 12? I mean, not not that many anymore it's like we have to have a referendum on these young quarterbacks like right out of the gate and oh my gosh this guy can't play on to the next one yeah i get it you know it's a win now league not for long all the different uh, cliches but uh, that's the tough thing is the legal part of it and that makes sense you should wait and to see what happens because you don't know what you're going to get is he going to be suspended is he going to be allowed to play as it stands right now he would be allowed to suit up right away as far as i know i mean he's not on the commissioner's exempt list uh he's only just 
staying away because of an agreement with the Texans. So, yeah, th- this could get pretty interesting. I was looking back. I mean, the recent past, I mean, it seemed like for years there was never, not never, but rarely big deals made at the deadline. But more and more with the younger GMs in almost like fantasy football trades. 2019, you had uh, Jalen Ramsey, you know, being traded to the Rams. Uh, That was a big deal in 2018. Amari Cooper going to Dallas. In 2017, Dwayne Brown goes to Seattle. Jimmy G. Uh, goes out to San Francisco. Yeah, maybe not the biggest trades, but were pretty big names that that did move along. I'm looking at somebody like OBJ. I mean, does he does he get moved? I don't know that he really fits what they want to do. Uh, it seems like it's more of a distraction to to Baker Mayfield than anything else. The other elephant in the room here is the salary cap and teams that make, when you make a trade, you assume that contract. So it's not like you're getting a release player that's going to play for the minimum for the rest of the year because he's trying to make a name for himself. You have to take that on. You have to have the cap space. So uh, again, there might be some teams out there, but OBJ, do you see that maybe being a potential move? Are they going to trade him for a bag of peanuts? They can't give them away. I just don't think anybody is going to give them something substantial for it. So I think OBJ is going to stay with the Browns. I think there are two cornerbacks. We touched up on the Dolphins a little bit, but I think the Dolphins are going to be sellers. I mean, just pretty obvious that they've got some key pieces, especially on that defense. They've got two corners that are making a buttload of money. It's going to be hard to move them because not everybody can afford it. But Howard and Byron Jones... All right. I think those two corners are going to be attractive to maybe a team like the Packers moving forward. You know, teams that are maybe like the Cardinals, you know, teams that are looking for that number one corner to kind of solidify themselves because they've got some injuries, especially the Packers with Jair Alexander. So I think look for the Dolphins to try to dangle at least one of those corners by the time the, the trading deadline passes. The wheeling and dealing dolphins, uh, and I guess on a, on a minor point, I would say you know maybe one of these running backs, somebody like a Marlon Mack, again not not a huge deal, not making a ton of money, so he may be movable. So one of these teams looking for a running back because he's not going to get any action in that uh, Colts backfield the way it's stacked with with Taylor and Himes at this point. So that might be a minor one that gets made. Let's bring in our first guest. He's the toughest nails linebacker from the Trojans of Troy, pride of Mobile, number two, Carlton Marshall. Carlton, how you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing all right. We finally got you on. So recently, you were named Sunbelt uh, Defensive Player of the Week for your performance against Texas State. You had like 18 total tackles, two tackles for loss. How would you assess your play in that game and maybe the, what stood out to you most? You know, I wish I could have played a you know a cleaner game from you know alignment and assignment standpoint. Running to the ball, that's kind of a thing our coach wants to instill in our defense. You know, 11 hats to the ball, and that's what we just tried to do. At the end of the way, 18, I don't even think uh, we knew that I had that many. It was just nice to accomplish that. How did you find out that you had 18 tackles? Was there a reporter that tackled you at the end of the game? Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. Actually, it was um, actually uh, our team reporter, uh, Adam Prendergast. He walked up to me after the game and he gave me the good news. What was the most tackles you ever had in a game? The most tackles I ever had in a game probably – 
would be the uh, Coastal Carolina game from last year. I believe I had 21 in that one. Probably one of my best games. All right, let's talk about this defensive unit. You lead the Sun Belt with 30 sacks, 12 picks. You've held nine out of the last 13 opponents to 21 points or fewer, dating back to last year. What makes this defense special, Carlton? I've been asked the question before, and I to give everyone the same answer. You know, it's 11 guys, you know, wanting to make a play, wanting to just be there for their team, wanting to make the play for their defense. There's 11 guys caring about each other and wanting to make the play for one, one another. That makes it a great defense to me, and I feel like that we have that. Out of all the accolades that you've received, there are a lot of them, which one means the most to you and why? Personal accolades, I would say Burroughs worth, that would be nice, you know, most outstanding walk on. That that would weigh uh, heavy on my heart to get that one. But you know, we know that as as success comes with our team, so individual awards. So, you know, we're focused on this conference championship right now. What's the one game that really stands out? What's the highlight of your career at this point? Uh, highlight of my career really I can't even make it out just to one game, you know, it's just being around my guys, I just can't say any, any one specific moment, you know, just being around my team. All right, well, let's pick one here where you're pretty close to uh, a record. No doubt, during this initial part of the conversation, you're, you are a tackling machine. Uh, you now have 46 tackles for loss in your career. Uh, the guy at the top of the heap for Troy is, I don't know if anybody's ever heard of him, but uh, DeMarcus Ware. I think he, he did okay in the NFL. You're nine behind him, right? Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, and for the Troy record, what would it mean to you to pass a Troy legend like that, DeMarcus Ware, I mean, Hall of Famer? That would honestly mean the world to me. You know, I just try to keep my head down and work every day just to strive to be like him or just be as good as he was. So that would be an amazing accomplishment. But like I said, I want to focus on the season, but that's, that would be an amazing accomplishment if I was able to do that. Do individual awards or records, do they mean anything to you at the end of the day, or is it all about winning? Honestly, it's all about, you know, to me it's all about the team's camaraderie, you know, just being, having fun with my brothers out there doing something that we love together. You know, winning is just a plus, you know, just being around those guys, building the relationship that we have. That's what it's all about. You know, winning comes with that. So we mentioned the defensive unit, but your team is 4-3 and three right now. You've got five games yes, left on the schedule in the Sun Belt. What are the keys for this team in order to make it to the Sun Belt Championship game? I believe uh, it's just, I believe everyone is all in. Just buying in even more, you know, just that's extra inch. Focusing on the little details that we can correct and the mistakes that we made in the previous games make sure we don't make those mistakes in the next games and just grow and get better every day. You know, I feel like to take that one step every day, like our coach says, to stack those pennies. Stacking those pennies. I, I love that. You're from Mobile, Alabama. It's the site of the Senior Bowl. Have you ever been to the Senior Bowl when you were younger? Oh, yes, sir. Uh, all the time. Me and my father used to always take me and my brother. You know, a few of our friends, we can see the Senior Bowl. You know, I went to the most recent one, you know, it was a nice show out there. I'm I'm blown away every time I go to the senior boat. So it was just a nice experience for me down there in Mobile with my family. So you've been to the Lab Peebles Stadium many times? 
Oh, yo, yes, sir, most definitely. Who is the coolest person that you've met? Maybe got an, an autograph of, of some future pro out there when you were a kid. Every time I get to go, I never actually meet, ever actually be able to meet the actual players. You know, I just stand in the, in the bleachers and just watch the game, you know. It was one of the more things I would just like to do. I want—I didn't really get personal with those guys. I just wanted to watch them play. Would that be like a dream come true to be selected to that big All-Star game? Uh, yes, sir. Of course, that's a that would be a dream come true. You know, nice accomplishment for me to do that. But you know, I just know I can't really focus on that right now. But I know that'll come. I'll just be so grateful just to be able to play in the game like that. I've been to Alabama a few times for the Senior Bowl, and the people there are really nice. I mean, you feel that Southern comfort. I love the food. For you, growing up there, what's the best part of being from Alabama? <laughs> That's a tough one, you know. I would say the best part about growing up in Alabama, the way I was, you know, the way I grew up, was just the family, the little family environment, you know, growing up in a city like Mobile, you know, everybody knows everybody, <laughs> how I grew up. So it was just nice having family around and all that. All right, let's get to it. Uh, we want to find out why you chose Troy coming out of high school. Why did you d- decide to go there? Well, actually, I made the decision, you know, my um, the night before signing day, you know, with Alabama, like like when my brother went to Bill Marshall, he played there, or walk on to Troy. And I just felt like I could, I could make a name for myself, out for my brother's shadow, if that makes sense. You know, and make my own path. You know, and I felt like walking on Detroit was just the right decision for me. Did you have the scholarship from North Alabama? Uh, yes, sir, I did. You put it all on the line out there. You bet on yourself, huh? Uh, <laughs> yes, sir. You know, um, my uh, high school coach, Coach Carl Jackson. You know, he told me, "Hey, if this is what you want to do." He backed me one hundred percent, and my family told me that, and I just didn't look back. Well, Carlton, it sounds like uh, being a walk-on is very close to your heart, as well it should be. Maybe take us through the process of walking on at Troy to being named the preseason Sun Belt Defensive Player of the Year. You know, it's crazy to think about, but you know, I believe anybody really with hard work can actually accomplish or achieve their dreams or what they want or their accomplishments and their goals. They can achieve their goals. Coming from being a walk-on to, you know, preseason defensive player of the year, that's something wild that just to hear someone say, you know, I'm just grateful. I'm just grateful for everybody who, who paved the way for me to do this other walk-ons before me. Was there anybody, I guess, in your corner? I mean, I'm sure maybe there were some days where it was a little tougher than most. Who was kind of in your ear urging you on? Really, my mother. My mother and my father would really tell me, what made you want to start playing football? Like, why would, why did you have such a love for the game? And, you know, every time I would you know, get down about being a walk-on, I would just talk to them about that. And it seemed like everything would just fall into place after that. You know, I had to clear my mind, so. It was a good time. Okay, so what was the moment then, Carlton, where you it kind of became crystal in your mind? Okay, I've made it. I can do this. I'm I'm good enough to do this. I wouldn't say it was the most specific moment. You know, I kept my head down and just kept working and kept working until I achieved my goals and felt like I have a lot more work to do. Do you recall the first time you got on the field and played uh, like a series of downs? I believe. 
it was 2018-19 season, my first game I ever played in college football. I believe it was Boise State that year. I can't really remember the, the job, but I just remember that was the first game I ever played in. It's college game. All right. How about that? when you were told you earned a scholarship? What were kind of the emotions that went through you and then when you told your family? Of course, you know, brought tears in my parents' eyes. You know, it was just the feeling of, I wouldn't say a weight lifted off my shoulders, but, you know, it just that feeling of knowing that I became a scholarship player, having to come to walk on, I bet on myself and I, I achieved it. That feeling was just amazing. And I love that I could just spend it with those guys in that room. All right, so we talked about DeMarcus Ware, the, the Cowboys' great pass rusher through the years, Hall of Famer. But one of my favorite players, one of my favorite linebackers of all time was Dexter Coakley. The man accomplished a lot in the NFL, and despite being undersized. You're 5'9", Carlton. Are you even 5'9"? <laughs> yes, sir, I'm 5'9". Okay. A lot of schools put 5'9", and actuality, you know, it's 5'8", five, 5'8 eight, five, eight and a half. Did a lot of people say that you're too short to play linebacker and how did you respond to that? I responded to that like, okay, yes, I am short, but I couldn't really get myself down on that. I just had to keep my head down. And like I said, work and not worry about what other people think. Just show that I can play and hopefully someone gives me a, gives me a shot. So a lot of players, Carlton, study different practices, uh, karate, Taekwondo, jiu-jitsu, the hands and everything, I mean, defensive players for the most part. Do you study that at all? Actually, no, sir. I, I do not study that Taekwondo or not anything like that. But actually, you know, I might look into that most definitely. Okay, well, here's the thing. And, and it makes me wonder, and it, it's one of the coolest things that I've ever seen, was that, you know, when I was told we we're going to interview Carlton Marshall, and for some reason, and I don't know, and forgive me for this, that I immediately assumed it was M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L, like the school, like Marshall. When I saw it was spelled M-A-R-T-I-A-L, it was like, this guy's got to be a martial artist, right? So that's that's what made me wonder. Has anybody ever mentioned that to you? Uh, You know, everyone always says that people always mispronounce my name the way I used to. It's Marshall, like M-A-R-T-I-A-L. martial arts they would think that like of course yeah it actually pronounced a different way because my father's from the virgin Islands, so yes sir okay if for some reason it doesn't work out you know in the nfl i think you got a huge career ahead of you doing one of the martial arts so that's you know it's enough of my (laughs) nuttiness all right alex get this back on the rails all right what do you enjoy most about playing linebacker it gives me a rush to being on the football field you know just being able to diagnose a play and just re- the reaction time, you know, just being able to react in just a split second. So that really, yes, sir, that's really one of the big things out there for me. So it's not about tackling. It's not about taking somebody's head off, you know. Like if I was a linebacker, <laughs> that's what I would get a rush off. You know, when I'm tackling somebody, you know, when I'm hitting somebody, that's when I would get those things going through my body. You know, we always have those, uh, yes, sir, those big moments, you know, that that's always an exciting moment. You had that moment uh, against Texas State. That's on the highlight reel out there. That's on Twitter. I mean, you hit a guy and you caused an incompletion. So I'm sure that gave you a rush. 
<laughs> oh, yes, sir. Of course it did. You know, making a big play always gives you that type of, you know, that good feel out there. When I watched some of those hits, Carlton immediately started thinking of Jamal Adams. Uh, do you watch any of his tape? Yes, sir. Most definitely. I, I, watch, I would watch his games and I would uh, try to pattern my game sort of after him, but also his another safety I would like to look up to is uh, Troy Palomalu. Yeah, that's, that's another safety I would like. I study his game as well. What is it about Jamal Adams and Troy Palomalu? What is it about their games that you really identify with? I love I love how those guys, you know, they're well Troy Palomalu, he wasn't the you know, he wasn't the biggest, you know, being able to go sideline to sideline and track down the ball no matter where it is, you know, I really I love that sideline to sideline presence. So that's really what stood out to me with those guys. Lou always preaches to me that in the NFL, it's all about having those weapons on offense, you know, O-W. I would call you a D-W, you know, a defensive weapon, right? But what do you see yourself in the NFL? I mean, do you see yourself as a linebacker or you're going to have, do you think you're going to have to switch to safety? I can't say, you know, hopefully by the grace of God, if I make it to the NFL, I could just find that perfect defense. You know, for me, I'm not sure what position they would have me at, but anyone would be fine. I just <laughs> a shot would be wonderful. All right, take us inside your mind a little bit before the ball is snapped. Walk us through the tendencies that you're looking for from the offense. You know, from the offense, some of the bigger linemen, you know, they show tendencies where they will sit back on their heels. Um, you know, they're going to pull or they can be light on their fingers when they're. They're going to pass that, you know, a pass is coming. You know, just small tendencies like that, you know, you can just pick up uh, before the snap. You said earlier your best game last year was against Coastal. Uh, we recently had Isaiah Likely, the all-everything tight end from Coastal, on the show. You play them at the end of this month, right? Do you see any defensive calls? Is there anything within your defense where you would get matched up with him? I can't really say, but possibly so. You know, you got to be ready for the um, for the challenge, and I, and I believe that our defense will be. Was there anything you'd like to say to him ahead of that game? You know, the mic's yours. You can say whatever you like. Have a good game. May the best team win. You know, me and Isaiah, we went to the New Orleans. We went to New Orleans together. You know, for the media day, some of media day. So it was nice just to meet that guy. So there's no bad blood for me and him. Are actually kind of good friends. So. Coastal Carolina is on the upswing right now, Carlton, and they're in first place again after having a terrific year last year. I mean, they went 11-1. and So they're in first place. You're in second. Obviously, you got to get that win, right? Yes, sir. How good is that team? I mean, how, how good are they offensively just with Grayson McCall, Isaiah Likely, that, that small but agile offensive line? I mean, how impressive are they? They're a really good offense. You know, you have Grayson McCall, Isaiah Likely, just to only name a few. You know, they're a really explosive offense and with great coaching. So, you know, you have to be in your spots in the right times and make sure you don't bust any coverages. So, it'll make sure that you have, you have all the uh, boxes too. All right. Speaking of coaches, there's always a coach behind a player succeeding at a school. And your positional coach, Andrew Warwick, I mean, how instrumental has he been in your development? He's been amazing. I feel like he's one of the big reasons I became, 
you know, I've came, I've come this far as becoming a player as well as a student of the game. You know, like there's one quote that he said that stuck with me, and it would always stick with me, and I would always go back and think about it. You know, it never get tired of doing what's right, doing the extra work, going in and getting film. So that's one thing he said to me that stuck with me, and I feel like you know I, I became a better player being coached by him. Are you a film junkie, Carlton? Uh, I wouldn't say as much as a film junkie, but of course I go in there and, you know, I get my extra film in, you know, get in there, see any tendencies, anything that the offense can give away that can just help me out in the coming game that week. All right, Carlton, last one. Uh, you mentioned earlier that, you know, family's very important to you, of course. Uh, you mentioned your brother, Philbert, and Philbert Marshall was a star defensive back at, at North Alabama. How did growing up with him make you a better player? Not growing up with just my brother, but even with my my cousins and my first cousins, you know, they would uh, always go outside. We always playing. We're always playing football, you know. Always tackle to the ground and everything. Just being there with my brother and seeing how good he was over the years, you know, I strive to be like him or better than him. That's just what it was. It was amazing just growing up with with a brother like that and just to watch how he was a player and how I can try to grow to be more like he was. All right, Carlton, here's the time of the show where you get to plug whatever you want. Give your Twitter handle, Instagram, whatever you want to, whatever you want to plug. Go ahead. No, sorry. Uh, just thank you for having me. I don't need to plug any of that. All right, very good. We appreciate your time. Uh, look forward to that Coastal Carolina game, and good luck the rest of the way. Yeah, sir. thank you for everything. Great to catch up with uh, our martial artist, if you would. So, hot seat coaches almost again halfway through the season we've got a, a cast of characters we have a, a couple of names i'll throw out there that i'm sure alex is you know his head may spin uh may even curse a bit if i if i throw these names out obviously you know matt Nagy is still sitting squarely on the hot seat for whatever reason justin fields obviously you know isn't really ready to elevate this team that's fine. He's a rookie. He hasn't had an opportunity to get out there and start, you know, make these mistakes, but the rest of the team around him isn't that great. So I got to have Nagy on that hot seat for sure. And now he's tested positive for COVID. He might not be at this game. So a lot of things working against him there in Chicago. We've been talking about the Dolphins making these moves coming into the season. Everybody's thinking, you know, Flores is this, you know, he's going to be the, the first Belichick disciple that's really going to make some noise. And, Oh my gosh. I mean, he's got to be on the hot seat, right? Uh, Urban Meyer, I think, is still on the hot seat for other reasons. You know, I don't know that the record is gonna, is as important uh, this season as some of his uh, missteps. So let's see what happens there. Vic Fangio, Denver is just that that's become a revolving door. The coaching staff, the quarterbacks, they just can't seem to get it right. So those are my names at this point. And to a degree, and again, I don't know how quick of a trigger that the Eagles are going to have. But Sirianni, I don't know. I mean, I praised him for when they came against that, that Atlanta game, how he kind of got Jalen Hurts comfortable and was doing all these wonderful things that they were doing in his Oklahoma offense. Seems to have just gone straight downhill from there. Philadelphia, tough market, was a, a very peculiar hire to say the least. So that's my list. Matt Nagy is at the top of my list, and I don't think he's going to last through this season. 
I think they're going to can him in a couple of weeks. Hey, especially if Justin Fields plays well against the Niners this weekend and Nagy isn't on the sideline. I mean, that's going to definitely be directed at the head coach more than anything because I feel like he ruined Mitchell Trubisky. He wasn't able to develop him. He's doing the same thing with Justin Fields right now. Even though I think he warned a lot of people that, hey, I'm sticking with Andy Dalton because Justin Fields isn't ready. That's basically what he was saying. And I was one of those people like, throw him into the fire, you know, let the rookie play. What really perplexes me about Justin Fields is why aren't they running him a little bit more? I realized that at Ohio State, he wasn't a Lamar Jackson clone. Like he wasn't running the ball 20 times a game. But you know what? In the NFL, use your feet. Use your athleticism. Use your 4-4 speed. They ran, I think, eight times against the Packers. I think they ran six times against the Bucks. from what I remember looking up at the stats. That number has got to be closer to 15 because the Bears don't have, like, huge weapons around Justin Fields. Their offensive line is terrible. When there's a a certain stigma attached to your name, and Matt Nagy was supposed to be this offensive genius, right? And he comes in, and he can't develop any quarterback that's given to him? I mean, I'm sorry. you got to cut the cord. You know, the team is not behind Matt Nagy. I think it's pretty obvious. When you fire a coach, you try to say to your team, hey, let's go. We've got half of the season. We might not make the playoffs, but we're going to go, and we're going to try to do the best job that we can. Matt Nagy can't do anything. He can't develop Justin Fields. I mean, I know you're a Matt Nagy apologist, Lou. You can keep him around for the next five years, but you're going to keep going through these quarterbacks. Justin Fields is going to be out of here in a couple of years. He's going to draft another one. Well, let's do this. I mean, let's let's experiment. Maybe Matt Nagy all of a sudden is going to become this. You're I working mean, yourself into a frenzy here. Relax. Uh, no, I, I mean, Nagy, cut Nagy the will cord. still Nagy will probably still get fired. But my point is, if you've you've just invested a bunch of picks to get. Justin Fields, do you really want to? I get it. You know the offensive line isn't good for one thing, so you're going to move him around a little bit. But if you start, you know, designing runs, and he's that's going to be like his bread and butter. He's going to get killed. All he, he needs to develop in the offense so that you know he can show that he can make tight window throws, that he can anticipate receivers getting open. If that's not happening. You know, I don't know that there's anything that, that coaching is going to do at that point from, I guess, the roster not being so great around him. So He's a rookie quarterback that's still learning how to attack right? those defense. I mean, against the Bucks, it was pretty obvious. He was just in over his head. He took about four okay. sacks. He threw three picks. you got to use your feet. Be a dual-threat quarterback. That's your best friend right there as a rookie. As far as, like, you know, developing quarterbacks and becoming more of a pocket passer, look at Lamar Jackson. He was a runner the first couple of years, but look at him now and how he has developed. He's not Lamar Jackson, though. Let's make him Lamar Jackson. Ohio State didn't I don't think they can. Yes, they can because he's got 4-4 speed. He's got 4-4 speed. He can get around that corner. He can outrun most linebackers and most safeties out there. Justin Fields, use your feet. And if Matt Nagy is not using it, I get rid of Matt Nagy and I insert somebody else that will be able to use his biggest strength as a rookie while he still learns to be that pocket passer. 
damn, that's the reason why Matt Nagy isn't winning. Because he didn't do the same thing with Mitchell Trubisky. Trubisky was great at throwing on the run, moving him outside of the pocket. When they did that, he had that one good year. When he tried to make him a pocket quarterback, it didn't work. Same thing he's doing with Justin Fields right now. I am getting worked up about this because sometimes these franchises make damn stupid mistakes and you're defending them for this. Because a rookie quarterback, if he can use his feet... That's probably his best friend. I mean, that's the one thing that that works for him. Calling a bunch of quarterback runs, I don't think is going to help him a whole lot. Now, when he's needed, I'm sure, I don't think anybody's telling him not to make a play, that he can go ahead on his own if he sees open space to go ahead and take it. The rest of the roster, the coaching staff, like you said, I agree with you. Nagy probably doesn't have you know, the locker room right now. And as crazy as it sounds, he's got a winning record and they've been to the playoffs. So, And that's kind of the frustrating thing about this. So, yeah, I agree with you. He, he's probably not going to make it through this season uh, just because the Bears franchise, the way they do things, more than likely he will coach through the end of the year. But... I don't see him coming, but even if Fields plays well the rest of the way, I don't think he's coming back. You know as well as I do, you get the quarterback moving outside of the pocket, you get him on those naked bootlegs, you give him those options, you have the running back, the tight end, a wide receiver deeper, give him those options, make it a lot easier on him to like read half of the field instead of the entire progression. That's what a good offensive coach is supposed to do because he realizes that Fields isn't ready to use the entire playbook so far. He's not scanning the field. He's not reading the defense as well as he should. So let's get him on the run. Let's give him those options a little bit. Let's design some of those runs. You're not going to kill him. I mean, he's getting killed inside of the pocket behind that offensive line. He'll be much better getting outside of the pocket using his speed. That's all I'm saying. Look, if Justin Fields plays well this week against the Niners without Nagy being on the sideline, that's an indictment on the head coach. And if that's going to happen, don't bring him back off of that COVID list. Fire Matt Nagy on the phone. Get somebody, an interim head coach in there. I can almost guarantee you that Fields is going to be playing well in the second half of the season without Matt Nagy. But Laser has been calling the plays too. So I again, it's you know I've watched some of their games. I don't know that there's much else that they're going to be able to do differently outside, like you said, calling more quarterback runs. I think their concern is that they don't want to get him hurt picking up four and five yards of play versus trying to, I guess, get him acclimated to the pro game. So that that's my take on it. What do you think about Shanahan? Yeah, Shanahan is in trouble. I realize that we can keep using these injuries as as an excuse, and they do have those injuries, but by the end of the season, he's going to be one of those head coaches that I'll be talking about that will be on the hot seat in 2022. I just don't think the 49ers are going to pull the trigger. They made Trey Lance the number three overall pick. It was a long-term project. It wasn't like we want to start Lance as a rookie. So this is like... You know, 2022 is going to be the year, kind of make it or break it. One year within that system, I think Lance is going to be a better quarterback, and that's the hope. I think Shanahan is going to be on the hot seat coming into next season. I just don't think the Niners organization is going to pull the trigger at the end of the season, even if they go like 6-11. and 11. 
Yeah, I think they're going to stick with him, but it just seems awfully curious that his record just isn't that great overall. Now, again, I don't know if it's just coincidence or whatever, but when you know they show these stats, when Jimmy G plays, here's the record. When he doesn't play, it's like way like horrible, which you know also speaks to the the backup quarterbacks that they've had too. So you can't you know lay that all on the coach, but still, you know, at the end of the day, that's his record. The other one where if you said like. Coming into this season, I would imagine, and I think we probably talked about it, that Zach Taylor was probably squarely on this list. And now how quickly that you've got a star-wide receiver and obviously a franchise quarterback. I mean, we've seen now, again, it's just his second year. He didn't get to play his whole first year. But by the looks of it right now, all of a sudden, Zach Taylor's now becoming the offensive genius. He's got the players in place, the the free agents moves that looked kind of uh, disparate, you know, just kind of piecemealing things together. All of a sudden that defensive line looks really good. I don't know. Do you bring Zach Taylor back? I mean, this is kind of a twofold thing. We're going to talk about the Bengals, but also Zach Taylor. What happens here? I mean, obviously we have to see what happens the rest of the way, but that was a pretty impressive win in Baltimore this week. I think he's safe. I mean, if this team is going to hover around like 500, even if they don't make the playoffs, that's already going to be a huge improvement. If uh, Joe Burrow is going to last through the season, because, I mean, there are times he's taking some big-time hits out there. I was wrong about Jamar Chase. I mean, he's playing incredibly well. He had over 200 receiving yards against the Ravens, and that catch when he broke those two or three tackles, that looked like, We're playing Madden there on the joystick. He's bouncing off defenders. But the one thing that has really surprised me about the Bengals, Lou, I think I knew that they were going to be good offensively. Like the T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Joe Burrow coming back. They have Joe Mixon. Offensive line was going to be iffy, but still, I mean, they were going to be able to score points. The Bengals' defense has stepped up this year. And against the Ravens in the second half, because the game was close, In the second half, the Bengals made plays, and you're right. I mean, that defensive line was able to apply pressure on Lamar Jackson and was able to slow him down. I think that's, to me, has been the most surprising part. Well, Hendrickson, I mean, you you know, he had a big year, but again, it was like kind of a one-off type thing. You thought he's playing really well, a lot of pressure off the edge. And the rest of that defensive line, that they again, they kind of piecemealed it together with guy from the Browns, guy from this team, that team, and all of a sudden, here we are. You mentioned Jamar Chase. Wow. I mean, the best start ever by a rookie, right? First seven games, over 700 yards, 35 catches, six TDs. Now, Randy Moss had, you know, an historic rookie season as obviously with the Minnesota Vikings. He ended the season, now obviously they'll be playing one more game this year, but 69 catches, 1,300 yards, 17 TDs. It looks like Chase is certainly on that path, on that pace. The TDs is going to be almost impossible to get, but you never know. And with that extra game, maybe he does. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're seeing some some pretty good stuff here the first, first seven weeks out of the Bengals, and Houday Nation is uh, back and rolling. A huge game Thursday night. I guess it's been dampened a little bit, primarily by COVID tests. We've got the Packers and the Cards. And for the Cardinals, being 7-0, I think 
there's still probably people out there that are thinking, eh, you know, we'll see what happens. We're not really buying them yet. Who have they beaten? You know, now obviously they've had some pretty good wins, especially on the road, you know, in Cleveland. They beat the Rams. You know, this is a very good team, but still, just on the national level, they're still not being believed. And here, okay, let's see what they do with the Packers. Well, now all of a sudden, Devontae Adams becomes, he's on the COVID list. There's a really slim chance that he plays, and I don't think it's going to happen. Maybe if it was a Sunday game, but he's on the COVID list. Their defensive coordinator's on the COVID list. I haven't seen anything today, but I'm going to assume there's other players that are going to test positive. So again, the cards kind of get gypped out of getting this national, you know, another significant win. But I hope that somehow Devontae is able to play. But even if he's not, maybe the Packers lean on the running game. Man, Card's uh, running defense isn't that good. I mean, do, do you think the Pack would be able to do that? Would Aaron Rodgers be able to, to run the ball 50% of the time, 60% of the time in a game? I just think Aaron Rodgers and the Packers might have something up their sleeve. Remember this, Lou. Murray was also beaten up quite a bit against the Houston Texans, especially in the first half. I mean, he took four sacks. He was hit a couple of times on the head. So I'm sure he's going to be a bit sore. And this is a Thursday night game. If this was a Sunday night game, that's one thing. So I don't think Kyler Murray is going to be 100%. But it's tough not to pick the Cardinals because the Packers have struggled the entire season with their red zone defense. They were better last week. I think they had like four out of five stops there. But before that, they couldn't stop anybody. They have problems at corner. And I just, I don't know how they're going to stop those wide receivers. Because if you roll coverage on DeAndre Hopkins, you've got A.J. Green. You've got Christian Kirk. You've got Rondale Moore. You've got Christian Edmonds coming out of the backfield. It's really a tough order. And even with Devontae Adams, the Packers were, it it was an uphill battle for them. I want to see Aaron Rodgers come up big. Like, I want to see the Aaron Rodgers heroics. Probably he's going to keep it close, but I have to go with the Arizona Cardinals here. Yeah, that's going to be a tough one, especially without there's so it seems so dependent on Devontae. I mean, just having him on the field makes everybody, you know, a little makes their jobs a little bit easier. So does Lazard have to step up? Obviously, does uh, Valdez Scantling? You know, again, hopefully we have a, a Valdez Scantling sighting, uh, Randall Cobb, Tanyan. But I think they more than likely with Lafleur, maybe they lean on the running game a little bit more. You know, get Dylan involved, get Jones, obviously. I mean, he touches the ball a lot every game. So maybe there, there's a chance there that the Packers play a little bit differently, play a different way, and get the job done. All right, we've got another guest coming up. He's a long-rangey corner, the pride of Mount Laurel, New Jersey, from the Winston-Salem State Rams, number nine, Joshua Flowers. Joshua, welcome to the show. How you doing? Glad to have you. You came back this year as a grad student to play. You got named team captain. What's that meant to you? Being a team captain has pretty much meant everything to me. I'm a guy that leads by example. I only talk when I need to talk, when I feel like things need to be said. And as far as being a captain, I make sure I'm doing everything I need to do and being there for my teammates when they need me on and off the field. Okay, so speaking of talking, can you give us a specific situation? You don't have to name names, but when you stepped up as a captain and, and said what had to be said. 
Well, before I was named captain, um, I had a players meeting. After the first four losses of the year, because we uh, started off 0-4, and four, and um, I had a players meeting after practice and had everybody take a knee, and it was just like, you know what I'm saying, we just had to play for each other. Like, we were killing ourselves. I was just letting them know that this is, like, all we got. Like, all we got is each other, and, like, we need each other to, like, you know, win. Can't let what the crowds are saying, what, you know what I'm saying, uh, our fans and everybody else, like, dictate how far we can go. So it was just more so of just, like, we got to step it up. We need to get things right so we can move forward. So I read a, a quote of yours, I think it was in the local paper, and I think maybe it was uh, around that time that you called that meeting, and the quote was, I'm not a quitter, these guys don't quit. What was the context around that statement? Do you recall making that statement? Yeah, I do recall making that statement. Starting off 0-4, and, and especially after 73-7 to seven loss, there's a lot of people that want to give up. One of our coaches had resigned after the game, had to get through a lot of adversity together. We went into John C. Smith, and we got our first win of the season, and we just pitched two shutout games back-to-back. I just feel like everything, we all the missing pieces that like we were looking for, we found them within ourselves. What did you learn as a team from that, you mentioned, 73-7 to loss? What we learned is just we have to work harder. We can't be uh, lazadaisical. We didn't have our minds right as far as a team on the inside, and we had to get that right first. Everybody takes their L's, but it's just about, you know, coming back, what you do when you come back the next game. We took that to heart. All right. Will you keep this winning streak going? I mean, you've got a couple of games left here on the schedule. I mean, what can we expect the rest of the way? Well, we're just looking at our next uh, opponent, Shaw. We're not looking any farther than that. We're just going to continue getting better each game. We got better from the John C. Smith game into the next game, and we just won homecoming. So I feel like we've been getting better every game, and I think like us winning will take us to get better like for this game. So we need to uh, continue to stay locked in. All right, so what should we expect from your opponent? You mentioned Shaw University. Give us a, a quick scouting report on them. Quick scouting report of uh, Shaw University that I've been watching is um, uh, Shaw wants to run the ball. Like, they look to run the ball so they can open up their pass game. They have um, a freshman quarterback. He's young, but he he's second in the conference in touchdowns with seven. They're, uh, they have another quarterback, like their veteran quarterback, 12. That he's been there, so he, he kind of knows the game, and they have pretty good wide receivers. But the, their defenses are harder to game. I just feel like we just have to come out there and draw first blood. I feel like they have a good team, but I feel like if we stay focused and just continue to stay locked in and shine everything out, I feel like we can we can get the win. What do you enjoy most about playing cornerback? I mean, it's a tough position to play on the defensive side of the ball. Not everybody can do it because, hey, you're going to get beat. I mean, that's just the nature of the position. Even the best cornerbacks get beat in the NFL. What do you enjoy most about playing this uh, position? Like 
how difficult the position is, you take it serious and you take the time to actually like master the craft. Like I just feel like the difficulty of it and like I'm able to be aggressive and just being able to like when I'm studying film, recognizing plays and routes, like watching film study on wide receivers and like seeing like different routes, like where they're lining up, like in my head, just from film study, I just feel like it's one of the it's one of the greatest positions. I just fell in love with it. You have to have a, a certain type of crazy to play uh, cornerback. Not everybody can play it. Out on that island all alone, sure. We're going to take yeah. you back a little bit, Joshua. Who got you into football? My uh, my family. I, I've been playing football since I was four years old. Like As soon as I seen the football, I just always held on to it when I was younger. Did you have, I mean, brothers, cousins that played, and uh, did you play together? I grew up on the street, like, full of, like, boys. So, like, we were always outside playing football. I played every sport. I think I saw somewhere you were you were a track athlete? Uh, yes, sir. Okay. I ran the 400 hurdles. Do you recall, like, your first organized football? What's your earliest memory of playing organized football? My father had went to Iraq, and um, my mom had came to one of my games when I was on the 60-pounders. It was, like, one of my first years. She had came to one of my games, and I had played running back at this time. And, like, I remember uh, one of my first touchdowns, like, she ran with me, like, the whole way, like, as I was running for a touchdown. Like, she ran on the sideline with me the whole way into the end zone. That's awesome. Did anybody get video of that? Uh, no, sir. That's an amazing memory. Were you a running back or a quarterback back then uh, when you when you scored that touchdown? I was a running back. When did you move to corner, Josh? When did that all uh, begin for you? Did you play corner in high school? Like I started just playing wide receiver in high school. But my sophomore year, uh, I had went to Bronson Township and uh, Coach Madeira had moved me from wide receiver to cornerback because the cornerback position uh, needed help. He saw me capable of uh, like playing corner. That's how it started. Coming out of high school, you chose to play for the Pioneers. Uh, why did you choose Long Island University coming out of New Jersey? Their school showed me the most interest, as well as like it really felt like a family vibe. This, uh, the school had won a lot of championships, and I've seen how serious everybody was about playing football so for me that's what I needed and as you see uh, when I came in my freshman year we basically went undefeated made it to the second round of the playoffs and lost to uh, Shepherd University but I got the chance to um, receive a lot of accolades and uh, receive a ring any 10 uh, championship. Why did you eventually transfer to Winston-Salem? I eventually transferred to Winston-Salem because um I just felt like me and my family like felt that um, Winston Salem was just the best fit for me instead of um, Long Island University because uh, Long Island University is a private institution is and it's pretty closed in and I felt like Winston Salem was the best fit for me and many connections into the world I like I seek to live in. 
It's a long way from home, though. I mean, Jersey and North Carolina. How did you make that jump? Did you have a connection with the coaches or maybe like a former teammate who played for them? What led you in that direction? Like at Long Island University, we played Winston-Salem in the first round of the playoffs. Like I just saw like the camaraderie they had as a team, even though we beat them. And um, I had my older sisters had lived out in North Carolina before I had transferred. And like it just made everything more easy. All right, Joshua. So now the interim head coach there is uh, Robert Massey, who uh, played in the NFL for many years as a Pro Bowl corner. Obviously, playing your position, that's got to be some type of advantage. Uh, what types of things has he shared with you about the position that has elevated your game? Playing this position, you have to put in more work than the normal player. You have to be locked in. You have to continue to work on your technique technique daily. The, you have to run. You have to run hills. You got to backpedal hills. Like He basically like told me like how he did it and like the work he put in coming from an HBCU, making it to um, NFL, and having a career in the NFL. One of the techniques that he drills in our heads is 3-10-30 over and over again. That's been working for me. In my life, I've had a lot of uh, good defense, defensive back coaches going from uh, Coach Mark Hendricks at Lenape and Coach Blount at Long Island University. But um, Coach Massey, like he's actually had experience in the NFL and he definitely taught me a lot. What is 310-30? 310-30 is basically taking a three-step read at the quarterback. Then when you get in your 10 phase, you turn inside to the uh, to wide receiver, and you're, you're watching this hit. And then your 30 is when you open your hips up and you start to run. The three-step read is like for um, reading like the quick routes, like the shorter routes. Once you realize it's not a shorter route, that's when you get in your 10 phase. And then when the wide receiver breaks your cushion, that's when you get into your 30. Is there an NFL player that you model your game after? I would say I model my game after. I like how Jalen Ramsey plays. I like how Marcus Peters plays. And I've got the chance to work out with uh, Darius Slay from the Eagles this whole summer. So... Like, I've just been taking, like, pieces of everybody's game and just making it my own because I have my own way of playing as well. What was that like, watching Darius Slay train with you? I mean, what did you pick up from him? Basically, just how to work out, like, how to drill, like, how to run your drills, like, um, finishing every workout with conditioning, you know, the little stuff, like film study, as far as, like, uh, footwork placements. So, like, he was just... Like, teach me the uh, the little things that, like, you might miss. Uh, what would you say your teammates would say about you? Things that you bring on and off the football field? I would say my teammates would say I'm a dog. I do my job. Um, and I'm always there to help them. Like, I actually always take the time to help them if they need it, as far as, like, on the field work or off the field. I, I show my teammates how to be a great teammate and help others uh, leading by example when the younger guys come in or the transfers come in they have to like a standard of the way to be especially at winston state yeah my teammates are everything to me all right i mentioned at the top 
Joshua, long, rangy corner. You're six three. Got you at 190 pounds. Correct us if we're wrong, but uh, you kind of fit the profile for the next level, right? I mean, I'm sure your coach has told you about that as far as just all the measurables. What are you hearing from scouts? What I'm hearing from scouts is like it's really going to come down to my 40 time. Just making sure I run a good 40 and um, continue to, you know what I'm saying, maximize my ability and showcase what I can do. Have you run a 40 lately? I have not run a 40 lately, but the um, the last time I ran a 40 was in high school. And I ran a 4.56. I would imagine um, I'm trying to uh, bring that way down. But I believe I can do anything I put my mind to, so... Like, I'm going to prepare myself, uh, and I'm locked in. Well, I'm sure with your track background, you know, you start getting back into those workouts, preparing for the draft, that, uh, that'll that shave some time off of it. How would you assess yourself as a pro prospect? If you were a scout watching Joshua Flowers' tape, what would you say? I would say that I'm a technician, and I'm patient. If the ball is in the air, I jump at it at its highest point. And, um, like, I use various techniques. I would say that I'm physical. I'm a cornerback that can tackle really well. I feel as if the teams I've been on in college have needed me to do. I've done it well as far as, like, being the corner on the backside and just shutting down the side and shutting down the number one receivers on the teams that we've played. They would say, He's a good player, and he could just continue to get better. He's been getting better over the years. One last thing here. I think we need to get this in here. As you had mentioned, uh, Coach Massey coming from an HBCU. Obviously, Winston-Salem State is an HBCU. Some illustrious alums. I mean, the one that comes right off the top of my head. Again, I'm dating myself is Earl to Pearl Monroe. Uh, great NBA player, all-time player. Uh, Stephen A. Smith, I think he played basketball there as well the rapper common you know the list goes on i'm not going to list them all but what do you take from that history what, what does it mean to you to play at an hbcu it means everything for me to play at an hbcu and uh have graduated from hbcu because i've been able to indulge in my culture and just thrive in it i understand what it means to be to go to a illustrious school like this and now being an alum and depart to serve, be, having a Winston-Salem State degree is everything. You know what I'm saying? It speaks more louder than just the paper. It holds a lot of weight for me, and especially with my family. Winston-Salem State has got me out of dark places and it's made me who I am today and put me in this position to be here talking to you guys. Yeah, I love my HBCU. All right. Well, we appreciate the thoughtful answers that you've given us, Joshua. Uh, wish you the best of luck moving forward this season and the rest of your career. Before we go, we'll give you this opportunity, as we do to everybody. If you want to give your uh, social media handles or if you want to plug something, if you're involved in an NIL deal, fire away. My Instagram and Twitter is underscore T-H-A-B-O-O-G-I-E. M-A-N, the boogeyman. <laughs> There's probably a story behind that, and we may not have time to go into it. Maybe next time, but go ahead. You know, when, when you're a cornerback, you're on an island. That's what they say. 
it's a graveyard out there. That's just what it is. There you have it, folks. The boogeyman from Winston-Salem State, Joshua Flowers. Thanks again, Joshua. It was great. Thanks for having me. Let's wrap up the show with the pick segment real quick. Uh, my layups didn't go very well. I uh, ended up 2-2 two and two with my layups, so to speak. New England got it done. I mean, obviously, that, that was never really a game and seemed like way too easy, and that turned out to be. Uh, Las Vegas, you know, minus 2, minus 3. Obviously, Philadelphia kind of, I don't know, still trying to find their way. But uh, Las Vegas is looking like a team on a mission almost like they're using this uh, John Gruden thing as a, a chip on their shoulder. But I think even getting him out of the building, I think maybe releases a lot of pressure because he just brings so much light shine to himself. I don't know. But anyway, the, the Raiders look really good. And then you've got uh, the Rams didn't get it done, obviously. You know, they won the game, but, you know, 15, 16 and a half points. That was crazy. But anyway, and then San Francisco, the rain bowl, if you would, whatever that's crazy, the rain river or cloud river that was hovering over Santa Clara. It was just a sloppy game. And, but somehow Carson Wentz got it done. Uh, Alex, you had your lock last week. I think uh, maybe that one didn't go well either. I'm leaving the Panthers behind. For now. I mean, uh, until Christian McCaffrey comes back, I was always picking against the Vikings or going with the Panthers with my picks. I mean, I've evaluated my locks of the week, and that just, that seemed to be the pattern. This week, Lou, the lock of the week, the Cowboys. They're coming off a bye week. Uh, The Vikings have been in a lot of tight games, so this is not like an, an easy walkover out here. I think I've seen like one and a half, two and a half numbers. Uh, but the Vikings are 1-6 in, in their last home games against the spread. I'm going with Dak Prescott and the Cowboys just because they had an extra week to prepare. This is going to be one of those weeks that the, the Cowboys will win by about 10. Even though the Vikings have kept every game close, they seem to be winning or losing by like one point or three points. I think this is going to end this week, so my lock of the week are the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas Cowboys. I would put a little stamp on that, a little uh, a little caveat on that. That's if Dak plays, right? <laughs> because I also have them in my pick segment, but I'm going to go with the over in that game, over 54 and a half. But check the injury reports. If Dak isn't playing, then just leave it alone. The other three, air quotes, layups, I'm going to go with Buffalo Coming off that loss to Tennessee and the bye week, 13.5 point favorites against Miami. Again, laying the big wood. I'm crazy. Uh, I'm going to go with the Browns, minus 3.5. Case Keenum, I'm good. No problem versus the Steelers. And I'm going to go back to the well with the Chargers, laying 5.5 at home against New England. Uh, maybe those 54 points against the Jets were the only 54 points. They'll score the, the rest of this half of the year. Who knows? Anyway, those, that's the pick segment. Hopefully it works out for you, gang, better than, than it has for us. We're going to head out now. Uh, before we go, please subscribe. Thank you if you already have. Thank you in advance if you haven't, but it helps you stay in touch with us. And also everything that we put out is going to be mailed to you so to speak so anyway for alex i'm lou as always peace